from coast to coast, the salad boys are known <laughs> known known the most. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And with that, we, yeah, yeah, it's uh, God. With that, we're in the episode. Um, talk about a, a cold open. Yeah, for those of you listening, go check out Instagram. You'll see a very rambling post for me on our salad page, <laughs> uh, talking about croutons and how I have to go to the store because people are listening to too much salad. Uh, the, the good news is though, we're at over a thousand streams. We hit that a while back. Um. And we just got around to putting a graphic up for it. Shout out to Kevin for making that for us. Um, but as Cole noted, known coast to coast, also known in Sweden. Shout out to Sweden if you are <laughs> listening right now. Shout um, out Sweden. <laughs> shout out to Axum Holst. Um, still probably pronouncing that wrong. But uh, yeah, if you You're didn't listen to the last kid. episode, go back. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Dad. Um, go back to the last episode and check out that talk that Cole and I had about the Swedish agency doing the most. Um, I mentioned them and then I tagged them on our Instagram. And then overnight we had like 35 new lessons on that episode. And suddenly Sweden was 4% of our overall listening. Uh, <laughs> so, or 4% of our overall listening. So that's insane. That's pretty cool. Shout out to you listening from there. Um, and yeah, you know, Cole, how are you doing? I'm going to continue the segment here. How's LA? <laughs> LA is all right. Nice. <laughs> we're 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 keeping on keeping on here out Keep here on in keeping the, on. The, I guess the sunny city, I guess. Um it's no, it's been really nice. The weather's been a little bit nicer this week so far. It's been nice and warm. Um let's see. I uh did a little bit of uh touristy sightseeing this weekend uh with my girlfriend Skylar and her friend was in town so That's we showed fun. her around a bit went to see the cool spots Venice Beach Beverly Hills um they're still there they haven't <laughs> broken in the ocean they're, yet from a earthquake <laughs> yeah exactly I watched skateboarders at Venice Beach and I looked at million dollar homes in Beverly Hills so Pretty much what you'd expect. Also, uh, speaking of good branding, too, if anyone's heard of Milk Bar oh. before. Yes. It's yes. so good. I hate them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I hate, that you, I hate that you hate here. it. I oh, saw man. you posting about that, actually, and I was like, don't DM him. <laughs> <laughs> Do you actually hate so, Milk Yeah, so milk? I, I went to them a couple times. Okay, this is okay. Guys, we'll get into right. the advertising soon, but this is this takes precedent. Um, All right. I, they were like a few blocks. It was like a 15-minute walk for me when I was living near Chelsea, and I got the cookies, and they didn't taste good, but the the sprinkle Ooh, are you the, kidding the me? sprinkle cookie was good. Oh. But I got like this chocolate chip brownie thing, and it tasted bitter. Like the synesthesia in me was having it taste orange, and like a chocolate chip cookie should not taste orange. It should taste like <laughs> like yummy, like yellow, like what? gooey, brown. You know all this good fun stuff. Like, but it was like mm. so bitter. And then I went back and I got a milkshake. I got a chocolate milkshake. I was like, let me give it a second shot. Maybe the cookies are just hit or miss. And then the chocolate milkshake mm-hmm. was bitter. And and then I went back again and I got another cookie and it was okay. It was better than the first time, but <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I need to try a cake. That's where I'm at. No, moral of the story. No, the Trent, cake $50. <laughs> oh, there we go. Trent, Trent, moral of the story. I'm saying uh, congrats to you for going back three times. <laughs> I mean, exactly. if I want to like a piece of food, I'll try. <laughs> like, I like my sweets. You really didn't uh, if anything, if anything, I'll get another shot in LA. The cereal milk stuff, the cereal milk soft serve is weird when you first have it. The first time I tried it, I thought it tasted a little cardboardy. Okay. Exactly. But admittedly, I've, I've gone back and I've had different stuff. That I will say, but <laughs> the crack, the crack pie. If you've had the crack pie, that was okay. Really so I did hear that was good. I, I, like I didn't that. have time to go back to that because I, I fell in love with a different place, which was a place that would grind up cereal into a soft serve cone for you. So I, I was going there more, and oh, they were called Milk and oh, Cream man. Cereal Bar. So it's funny there was this rivalry I had in my mind mm-hmm. between Milk and Cream versus Milk, but uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I'll give them a try again in LA. I will. I will go into it with an open mind. I leave there next week. That'll be we'll the go. first thing I do Sunday. We'll go. 
We'll put it on the side. Yeah, yeah, we'll post. <laughs> oh my god. I'll be but, yeah, but speaking of, they do have do great they? branding. Yeah, um, that makes sense. It is good. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say their their founder Christina Tosi's done a good job. I mean, they're they're of the moment right now. Yeah. I'd say. I mean, they're big. You know, South by Southwest. I know she did a speaking thing. Oh, that's cool. Of course, if you watch Chef's Table, there's an episode on it. That's wild. So maybe just in my cooking food porn sphere. <laughs> but <laughs> there goes the explosive yeah. tag. Um, the uh, there you go. <laughs> The um the other cool thing is uh I think that's the thing is the branding is so good that it made me want to try it again and again because I was like it's so cool looking that it has to be good right um the branding made you keep coming back yeah right? you know <laughs> and then trash them on a global podcast yeah. but it's fun um <laughs> speaking of some negative commentary go. actually no before we get into the negative. I got two more good things. Cole and I had an amazing interview with a guy named Jonah Katz from Giant Spoon last Thursday. Uh, It's going to be coming up next week, so keep an eye out for that. Great guy. um, And it was a really fun conversation with him. So keep your eyes out for that. That's coming next week. And then Zach and I, shout to Zach, his podcast interview debut, um, got to interview Allison McMorty, a friend of mine (laughs) that is now the director of performance media over at UM London. She's worked at Huge in New York. She's worked at GSDNM in Austin. She's been all over the place since we interviewed her today as well. So keep an eye out for that interview coming out probably late June, early July. Um, so excited to keep these interviews coming to you. Both were great conversations. And with that, we're going to go into some negative. So, okay, <laughs> we've talked about Fishbowl before. For those of you who don't remember or didn't listen, go back and listen. But also, I'm going to say it again. Uh, Fishbowl is essentially like, think about it like Reddit for businesses where there's different industry categories. And so we use the advertising category and you kind of post anonymously. You can see either the company title or the the company you're at uh, or the job title or the company you're at. And there are all these different conversations that happen, whether it's like people in creative talking in a creative forum or people asking questions and other people answer anonymously. Someone posted uh, a week ago saying, you know, I'm not sure what this whole racket is technically a profession. I've done okay for myself, but almost 20 years in, it seems success is as much a matter of luck and politics as it is of talent, skill, and hard work. And he kind of goes on to talk about like lawyers and doctors and all these other business people. They go to college and they graduate with a degree and they expect to have a certain amount of success. Like if you get your doctor doctorate and you go to med school and all that, you're expected to open a practice, make a certain amount of money, pay off your loans, all that. But in advertising, he's saying it's essentially a shit show. You just really never know. Um, They continue on to say they're essentially the coal miners of the digital age, masters of the 21st century digital shovel. Think the Adobe Creative Suite. They dig and scoop out digital knickknacks for people. And you never really know if it's going to work out, if it's going to strike gold. And, uh, you know, if you're lucky... You know, you might become a foreman or a supervisor or maybe even an overseer of the mine or even the owner of the mine. But essentially, he feels that creatives are exploited and it's a just a crapshoot as to whether or not you can even move up in the field. It's a matter of luck. It's not a matter of skill or passion or determination. And he ends up with saying, when you're 45, you go work in the healthcare mine because that's the only place they'll have you. How depressing. Somehow young people with creative ambition need to be warned of this. The responses were mixed. Um, okay, Zach, you have opinions on this and then I want to follow up, but what do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I'd like to preface it with talking about a place like Fishbowl. Whenever you have the ability to post something anonymously, odds are you're going to get a lot of negative feedback. Exactly. And a lot of negative discussions because people are unafraid to speak their mind, but also because people generally tend to go and vent more so than they go and praise. That's just something that I've noticed, especially on that app, you see a lot more negativity and not everything is negative. So you got to take it with a grain of salt. Um, But this really plays into an article that I was reading and actually wrote about in Madness. I can't remember. It was a couple weeks ago about the uh, relationship between agencies and their clients. And it was it was really focusing on some of the the shops that are really hot right now and, and specifically some of the the CMOs and the the brand side people who are working with those agencies. 
the point of view it was taking is that those people that are working with the agencies need to be fans. They need to cheer on the agencies and they need to really foster a healthy relationship with them. Meaning sometimes projects are going to get difficult, but they need to be there to keep cheering them on. You might not find that great idea right away, but instead of criticizing the agency and, and, you know, tightening their grip and stressing them out more, maybe forgive them every once in a while and keep working. Cause when you keep working with the agency and you form that good partnership, good work is created in the long run. And there was a few examples on there of people who are doing this right now. David Miami and Burger King uh, was one of them. And I believe Verizon was another one. I don't remember. So don't quote me on that second one. No worries. But after reading it, what it, what it really made me think about and what I, what I really got from it uh, is the fact that it's one thing when your ideas don't make it in advertising. Every creative is, is used to that. Every day I go to work and, and some of my stuff gets shot down. Yeah. And that's okay. And, and we have tough skin and we're able to deal with that. But the thing that I think is really crushing is when you do make something good and you don't get recognized for that. And that's what I think was was kind of how this person was feeling when they were when they were voicing their concern is that even when they're making really good things and even when the result is good, it's still just brushed off to the side and it's on to the next right. without any moment of, hey, you did a good job on that. You were really proud of what you guys created yeah. without that that little bit of like euphoria that you get when the, when you're not being recognized for the good work you're doing, it makes the bad work that more crushing. And it really, it really just kind of destroys your spirit. And so that's kind of what I pulled from it is that the angle that I want to take is that it, it would be really cool to, to recognize when creatives and when agencies are doing good work. We all know that we're going to get uh, shit on when the bad work comes out and that does happen. But when those good ideas do surface, make sure that you're cheering on the agency, make sure that you're recognizing that that work is good because that'll keep fueling that agency and the people that work there to, to gain momentum and keep going. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I think too often in the crunch time of a campaign push or trying to get something out to achieve business goals and raise sales numbers or, or whatever, subscriptions, whatever your metric is. I think it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day -day and not look at the greater goals. Part of that is the job of an account manager to recognize that, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it sounds like maybe this guy isn't working with a good one. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's important too for the agency to recognize those little victories. It goes back to the, the basis of, of advertising like it's a partnership at the end of the day advertising agencies like to think that they kind of run their sphere they're these creative influencers right and that's 100 percent true but i think also there needs to be a little bit of a humility in the sense of we are just vendors to a certain degree now there are agencies that do go out and create their own work they create their own products they push them to market they do all these other things they they do great work in society to help out causes that they think are worthwhile they do all these other great things and that's not to diminish any of that because that's important to recognize with agencies as part of the creative culture they set but at the end of the day you are working for someone and that inherently creates this rub where there are going to be disagreements because you have to work for someone you're not going to be able to do everything you want to do or everything you think that should work and it leads to a difficult situation where if you don't celebrate the wins you do get and if you don't have the perspective of hey this might not work out but i'm going to keep trying we're going to find something that'll be working and and just being able to create is is a process i'm happy to be a part of i think it gets very difficult um we obviously come from a younger perspective. I don't mean to to talk badly about anyone who's older in the industry and feels this way, but my immediate thought was, what's up with all the sadness? I mean, <laughs> it, it's just... I'm with you on that one. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm sorry. I, and look, okay, there's a naivety that comes with young age, but I look at this industry, this advertising industry as, damn it, man, I love creativity. I love doing different things. I'm going into account management. I'm starting in account management. I'm not a creative in that sense, but I do consider myself a creative person. This is a great avenue for me to be around creative people who can do that all day to help them succeed, to get to work on projects that help brands succeed, that reach people that can benefit from their product. That is at its most naive sense of advertising. But still, like, I don't want to go into finance. I don't want to 
just sit at a brand all day and look at, you know, different reports and metrics and all that. Like I, I want to be able to be on the ground floor, get my hands dirty, working with clients to help find out what they need, working with creatives to help them get through a brainstorming block, working with strategists to see if that line of reasoning makes sense. Like it's such a cool industry where you get to do so many different things and work on so many different fields that I don't think you can do that really anywhere else. The production industry, the creative industry, they're such special industries that I think people need to take a step back and realize that it is a special place. Yes, you can be underpaid, but also you can get overpaid. And like, it's one of those things that I've heard from so many people where you make barely, you make too little when you're starting out and then you make too much when you get older. And I just remember learning the psychology of, money in a workplace, you know, in, in college. And there are studies that show, you know, money is kind of a negative inhibitor, like on people's well-being at work to a certain extent. Like as a manager, you want to pay them enough that money is taken off the table and they don't worry about it anymore. But once you start paying them more than that, then they start feeling like they're not earning the money or they worry that they need to work harder to justify the large paycheck they're getting. And I almost wonder with like, a senior level creative director that may be making a lot more money, they may feel like it's hard to justify it. I, I don't know. There's there's certain psychology that plays in there. And this could be a creative director that's not making a ton of money, that's in a smaller market, that is sad about the fact that they're working in healthcare. But again, it, I don't know their situation, this anonymous posting, but I just thought about all these different scenarios and it's like, let's just breathe. I'm going to quote Aaron Rodgers here. Let's just relax, mm-hmm. you know, and, and take a step back. I, there's a lot bigger things going on in the world. And I think advertising is a cool way to, to make an impact on that. But, you know, if you if you get too caught up in the weeds of work, it can can really make it seem more dire than it is or more dour than it is. I don't know. That was a long rant, but I don't know. I'm just curious, Cole. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that, Zach? Do you have any follow ups? Mm-hmm. It's just interesting. I wanted to call it up because I don't know, you know, it's I feel like things are better than we make them to be. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I mean, as someone who is frequently in the weeds of advertising, yeah, um, the media, right? <laughs> it can, it, yeah, it, it can def- I think it can definitely be easy to get jaded and feel like, does what I'm doing really matter? You know, does the client really care? Um, I think that one thing too, that you see a lot more on the media side is kind of the transactional relationship that, you know, clients and agencies do have. I mean, obviously there's a partnership to create amazing creative, you know, you have brand, you know, you have the brand working together, you know, you're taking feedback from both ends, but you know, they're in, in the long and the short of it, you know, in the end, the brands are working with us to make more money to, you know, increase their bottom line. And so that obviously comes into conflict with creative vision. You know, if you're working, you know, working to boost sales by 15% in some category doesn't necessarily inspire us to create an amazing campaign. But, you know, you, you really do have to see beyond that and think about, you know, how is this helping, you know, people, in a different way, or even, you know, how does someone on the street affect this? Um, one thing that even we talked about at Mullenlow today, um, is, you know, kind of drawing human emotion out of more transactional activities. And I mean, it's something that you have to think about more so in media too. And so I think that just putting that into context, you know, it's easy to kind of have your work maybe seem like it's going unnoticed or, um, you know, kind of laboring for a client that may not seem to really care. And that can definitely be frustrating. I totally understand that on those big accounts with, um, you know, so many people on them. But again, it's like, I feel like you do have to find the silver lining in it. You know, there's going to be bad clients and good clients. It's not always going to be the best. And, you know, some accounts are going to drain the life out of you and some are going to, you know, bring you joy. And, you know, even if it's just for a moment, and, you know, that's kind of the ups and downs of the industry, I feel like. And you, you have to find the silver lining in it or else, yeah, you are going to just get depressed, I feel like. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it goes back to what we talked about with Mike uh, two weeks ago. He, like, I, I, you know, last summer I would hear some people say, like, it's only advertising. And I was like, that kind of frustrated me when I would hear that because I was like, yeah, but this shit matters. And then knowing what I know now over the course of the last year, I get more of what's that, what they're saying. Like at the end of the day, this is just advertising. We may think that it's the most important thing in the world and we need to make everything perfect. And th- 
our own creativity and our own perfectionism is our greatest asset in advertising. It's also our greatest um, really threat to our own well-being. Um, and that's what Mike talked about too. Like people take this way too seriously. And uh, to quote him, you know, people get drug addictions over it. They have family issues. They have mental issues. You know, it, you got to take a step back and, and I think breathe a little bit more. Um you know, because it's sad. I remember, you know, I remember at some, you know, at one point too, I even witnessed a, a person, you know, have a mental breakdown over the fact that ideas had been shut down by a, a brand so many times. And, and that's tough. That's hard. You know what I mean? Like that, that makes you feel for that person. And it's like, how, how can we in advertising, you know, as people working these agencies, as people who may eventually be running agencies, like, like, how can you alleviate the mental burden that, that seeing a project killed many times over because testing doesn't work out you know what i mean for like certain markets like how do you how do you help that you know it's it's hard it's a hard industry um you know for those listening you do need to be mentally resilient you know that it's hard there's a lot more good than bad and i think that as zach noted when it's anonymous posting you can get on a rant and you can talk more and say more that you're truly feeling at that time and that may not be how you're feeling later on you know what i mean so it's interesting mm-hmm. um uh-huh. well and yeah and i feel like it I feel like it has to do with both you guys kind of touched on is everyone's chasing purpose, Mm -hmm. right? Everyone's trying to find how they're going to make an impact in the world. Uh, the people who care at least, uh, that's, that's their goal. And I feel like it just does turn into that. Sometimes what you're doing doesn't matter as much. And when, when you get too stuck down into none of your work getting produced, none of it seeing the light of day, nothing, nothing working well with the client, and when that's happening over and over again, it's, it's really yeah. tough. And that does come into that, that psychological aspect of it is you got to be resilient. Um, but even going back to that article, because that's exactly what that article was addressing. It wasn't necessarily addressing that people were, uh, frustrated, but just more of how to get better creativity out of the, out of the agencies. Yeah. And I think it, it does boil down to making sure that you on the flip side of that, recognize when things are good. Yeah. Exactly. And you have to, you have to take a moment and say what I did today was really awesome. Or as an agency, what we, what we came up with was really awesome and make, making sure that you're getting that, that recognition, whether it's from your spheres or just, you know, recognizing that what you did matter in some sense is, is a small step that you can take to, to make this, to kind of alleviate that, that burden and, and, and be resilient. That's kind of what you need to, yeah. to get through it. I completely agree. Seventy Sunny did something cool with that recently. I don't know if either of you saw it on their Instagram, but uh, you know they kind of had some hard times, and and they did this thing where they gave everyone little little hands, little like hands in the where all five fingers are out, like a little high five. They fit on your finger, and they're having people just give each other random high fives throughout the office for the day, and they're posting people's like user generated content that they're making with the things people are doing like dance videos with the like zoomed in on the hands with the little fingers and stuff and doing jokes with it and like even little things like that where you can just give people something funny and be like hey for the day just goof around and kind of have fun with these and like I, like little things like that are even funny little subtle ways to just kind of get people laughing again um, <laughs> forget about your pain for a moment <laughs> yeah and, and also, you know and, and also too i I'd be curious if there is anyone uh, listening in the industry that would like to give their two cents on this topic. I'd definitely be interested to hear about it. DM us, yeah, DM us on Instagram that. at salad underscore podcast. We would love to talk. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and not to get too bogged down in the the negative, not to get trapped in the fishbowl, um, but to jump out of it onto <laughs> land. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about another slightly negative thing. Um, <laughs> General Mills. <laughs> um, hi. So, okay. I don't have a vendetta against General Mills. I think they're a great company. They have a great portfolio of brands and they've done really great marketing work before. I think they're all wonderful people. I know people that are interning there currently. They say wonderful things about the people there and the company. I think they're a tremendous company. This is just a matter of talking about differences of opinions and discussing a very real conversation going on about the terms of RFPs and agency pitches and what the advertising client acquisition process looks like. That's just a conversation that's happening right now. It's nothing against General Mills. They're just in the news for it. Um, Their CMO, uh, Ivan Pollard, 
spoke to AdAge uh, on June 7th, um, talking about the rumors about their RFP. Uh, Zach Cole and I discussed this in a previous episode. I want to say it was 18 or 17. And, you know, he said that they seemed to have struck a nerve. And because of that, he felt like he needed to comment on the facts of their their RFP requests for agencies and to make sure all the facts were out. Um, but I felt like it was a little bit of a non-answer. And I'm curious just for you guys' thoughts. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this. But because this is a continuing story of what we already talked about, I want to call it out. Um, you know, he, he essentially said that the terms of their RFP are pretty much consistent with their previous agency reviews um, and that their payment terms, which were up to 120 days, were in line with several other big marketers. So, you know, and he says, um, and he said that while IP ownership is a big concern, he said the reason they want to own all the IP is that agencies often pitch similar ideas and pitches, and he feels that General Mills needs to protect itself because if they go with a great agency and that idea was similar to something another agency had, he doesn't want that other agency to sue them and be like, hey, you stole our idea. And we did talk about this previously where there are feelings where sometimes an agency might feel like they picked the hot agency and then stole this other agency's idea and used that from the pitch. Um you know, it, it's clearly General Mills felt the backlash and felt like they needed to address it. You know, it's nothing against the brand, I think, as we've talked about before. This is just a hard process. Productizing creativity and bringing it out into the world and asking people to give a product of their creativity and their idea so that they can see which is the best to then hire them to work on their brand for millions of dollars. It's a really tricky process. It's very hard, but I don't know. I mean, do you have any thoughts on this, Zach or Cole? I thought it was a little bit ho-hum, a little bit of a non-answer, but I do appreciate that he felt the need to address it. Yeah, I'm I'm happy he addressed it. It was sort of a sorry, not sorry, in a sense, where yeah. he we wanted to address that that he recognized what was happening, but it's pretty clear that they don't really want to budge yeah. on it. At least that's what I got from it is it seems like they're, they're kind of staying firm in, in what they put out, but they wanted to say, Hey, sorry, we struck a nerve. Um, the part that was interesting to me is he referenced his previous agency experience. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, spoke on that, that whole token of, well, I worked in an agency before, so I understand that side of it and I still stand by this. Um, and what that makes me think of every time I hear something like this, because people say it all the time and people leave and go brand side a lot and start working with agencies on the other side. And I'm curious what that like change in perspective really does to someone when they change or when they switch, because like right now and, and kind of how we were approaching this a few weeks ago, it's just like, this sounds a little bit crazy. Like we would never want to do this to an agency. It seems so difficult. And I feel like most people who work in the industry would have that same viewpoint. They'd think it's absurd. They wouldn't want to work in that condition. And if they were to go brand side, they'd probably feel like they would never want to do that to, to an agency partner that they were working with. Yet time and time again, we see it happen or we see people switch to the other side and then whatever goes on in their realm, in the brand side realm, uh, causes them to want to put more pressure on the agency. So I'm curious to know what what it's like, like what stress they're under to meet, uh, what goals they're trying to meet that, that causes them to, to have enough stress to really push on their agency to do more and to do it faster and for less money and to keep the IP and, and all of these different things. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Uh, again, I feel like a lot of CPG brands are under five because of health concerns about the food and all that kind of stuff. People want to be eating healthy. Like there's a big overturn in like the food industry and General Mills being a legacy brand. And there's kind of right at the center of it. Um, again, I think it goes back to the relationship side of advertising. This stuff shouldn't, this stuff will happen, but it shouldn't be nearly as bad if you have a good working relationship between you and your partners. And I think if that starts with respect and admiration for the agency or from the agency's perspective for the brand they're working on, then you'd hope that a lot of this can be talked through and negotiated with. And I think that that's what he was trying to get at when he was saying we have ways for agencies to relieve their financial burden. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there is the ability for an agency to, to talk with them and work through it, but it, you know, it's challenging. It is. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I mean, 
I think kind of even going back to Zach's point a little bit, um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, he's saying he's from an agency and I mean, that is, I mean, he did work apparently at Widen. Yeah. That's what yeah, the, uh, yeah, I respect that a lot. Says. But, um, but again, that, I mean, that could have been 35 years ago for all we know, you know, and I think that that separation, you're talking about what changes in someone's mindset. And I would say, you know, even today we had a, a high level executive speaking, uh, to a, to a group of us um, at the agency today. And I mean, when you get to that sort of level, I mean, not obviously not to knock uh, Mullen at all, but again, it's like, you know, you're talking about he's, he, his big goals are, you know, oh, we want to chase, you know, this X number, X million dollar account. You know, we want to win this many of, you know, this size account you know, and thinking about cash flow and thinking about how you're bringing in new business and like how you're keeping the money flowing in through the doors. And it's like, even from the agency side, you know, that is so it's so much focus on building the company on growth on those numbers, you know, those bottom lines. And I mean, I guess we kind of talked about it at the beginning, but again, kind of going back to, I think that calculus just changes. Uh, to get that separation, I feel. Yeah. And it, oh, yeah. No, go ahead. Uh, I, I was going to say one one thing also that I noticed that I thought was interesting that I don't know if we'd mentioned it at first or if I'd just forgotten, but they also had said that um, agencies need to be staffed by at least fifty percent women and twenty percent people of color. Um, yeah, yeah. The in the creative department. department. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty. That. I thought that was pretty crazy too. I mean, yeah, fifty percent women in the creative department. I, that's that, that's very few agencies. I feel like I don't know. Yeah, it's it's good. I feel like it's good that they do that because I think it's oh, major marketers influencing the advertising agency to continue to become more inclusive, which is very important. Exactly. exactly. But yeah, it just shows like I think brands aren't messing around either. You you see all these. Yep scandals that happened because there wasn't enough diversity of thought and of background in the room. I think brands are no longer willing to take that chance with their, their creative partners. Um, but yeah, that was interesting too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know. It's if we had the answers to this, (laughs) we would not be sitting here doing this podcast. And if they had the answers to it, they probably would be ruling the world, not running their businesses you know what i mean like it's a very hard it's essentially the inherent business dilemma of how do i maintain the creativity and the health of my workforce while also maintaining the bottom line uh it leads to a lot of issues and we're just seeing those play out it's important to comment on them you know but uh these are just our opinions and we by no means have all the answers either um but speaking of work and agencies and advertising and cool stuff okay Bite-sized cakes. Yeah. Cool stuff. Here we go. Volkswagen did something really bad. (laughs) We're we're not quite out of the negative yet. Um, (laughs) As we all know. They cheated on emissions (laughs) testing. They paid dearly for it. Their effects are still being felt. It's pretty bad. (laughs) It's not good. But what they did is they kind of addressed that in a new ad campaign they started. Zach, I want to hand it off to you. Tell us a little bit about what they did, and let's dive into it. Let's talk about it. These might not be bite-sized takes. These are not so bite-sized takes, but we're just kind of dig into the meal here. Yeah. So essentially, what Volkswagen did um, is they they resurfaced this scandal that they that they were involved in four years ago. And the really interesting thing about this is that your traditional PR strategy is to you know like apologize. Uh, and apologize the right way and then let it go. And the world moves on, things keep happening, and people tend to forget about what you did and you go on and you're successful. Um, you you usually don't want to bring up your, your previous scandals uh, again. You usually don't want that stuff to resurface, but that's exactly what Volkswagen did in this new campaign. Uh, they chose to remind the world of that scandal that happened four years ago, of their uh, of the fact that they were cheating on emissions tests, uh, in order to then market their, their new initiative and their new, uh, uh, their new electric cars, essentially it's, it's kind of bigger than that because they're, they're pushing for more of the idea of, of being bigger and being just better in general. So it doesn't just focus on the cars, but the product that is attached to this campaign 
is their concept yeah. cars. That's another interesting part of it is these cars aren't even hitting the market yet. I think the, the closest one is hitting the market next year, but the one that's featured in most of the ads is a rendition of the Volkswagen bus, yeah. an electric version. That's not even supposed to hit the market until like 2022. And so the, this campaign is running now and it's really focused on just the idea of, of being bigger and being better, being the bigger person and, and really fighting for environmentalism and, and protecting the planet. And they chose to do that by referencing four years ago when they were destroying the planet. So, so it's a really interesting way to go about it. Uh, yeah, I'd like to hear what you guys think about this and I'll, I'll close it out with something that I think about the print pieces as well. Yeah. The, uh, the big, the big conflict is, do you call up a scandal that has already been forgotten? Um, which I think people, it seems like experts would say that the scandal is pretty much forgotten or at least consumers have moved on because sales have been up for Volkswagen as of late. It's interesting. I think it's a cool move, if nothing else from a creative standpoint. Um, I think the line in the darkness, we found the light introducing a new era of electric driving, which uh, is in their video, which is like a very beautiful video. It's very well done. Um, it, it's it's cool. It is. It makes you root for that, and it makes you root for their goal to get seventy new electric car models out in the next ten years. Whether they'll be able to do that or not, I don't know. But um, it's pretty freaking cool. And I don't know. The, I get the the stress because like they probably didn't need to do this, but I do think it's cool. I don't know if I respect Volkswagen more or not because I feel like this was an intentional move where. You know, look, they've had to pay like $31 billion in fines. You don't do something that requires that amount of a fine without a lot of plan to avoid it and get around it. So I don't necessarily trust the company still, but I respect them from a creative standpoint for willing to take a risk like this. Zach, I want to get back to you on the copy for the print ads too and what you thought about them. But the print ads that they did were awesome too, where they compared the old Volkswagen uh, bug um, ad campaigns from like back in the, I think the seventies or eighties where it was, you know, the little, the little print ads that were iconic. And then they have, now they have them side by side with the old versus the new and they have in the black and white, the old car that says lemon. And then on the right, they have lemonade with the Volkswagen electric bus with a yellow coat of paint and a yellow background. I thought that that was a really cool comparison too, of like out with old and with the new, this is our future. We're moving forward. Um, so I'm curious for your thoughts on that too, Zach, but Cole, what did you think? Well, I'll, I know that Zach wanted to round us out here, so I'll give my uh, I'll give my two cents here in the middle. So um, basically, I don't know. I I really enjoyed this. Um, I have three three count them three main points I want to talk to you about. <laughs> three points. <laughs> three three points. Here we go. So first off, um, I know we're talking about you know should they have addressed the scandal? Should they have brought this up? Um, I think I think yes. Okay, so here's my reasoning on that. I feel like yeah, you know, everyone, it. yes, people, when they think of Volkswagen, they don't immediately think cheating, emission scandal, you know, that's kind of gone by the wayside. But I actually feel like this makes them more of an underdog. So it, yeah, I like that too. And that fits their DNA. Exactly. So it positions them in a way that a very they point. are coming they're literally having a rebirth almost and so this kind of goes into my second point but i feel like this works because you know you think about even you know people are actually pretty open to accepting an apology surprisingly enough um one thing for for all you history buffs out there you know jfk he did a lot of things that people didn't think were great. Um, you know, his family life, people probably didn't really approve of. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then also too, in the Bay, the Bay of Pigs yeah. invasion, he, he tried to invade Cuba in the sixties and it just went completely awry and confidence was lost. This was his first year in office, but he gave an, a speech addressing the issue and apologizing for it. And his approval rating, I believe actually went up. And so People actually do really appreciate when you're able to address something like that, when you, you know, call out the elephant in the room and, you know, make a pledge to be better. People actually do enjoy that. So first point, I think it's great. I think it's great that they're doing that. And then two, you know, we're seeing in the car industry right now, the pressure is going to start ratcheting up. 
because there's a few things going on. So first off, electric cars obviously are entering the marketplace. So that's completely shaking up the industry. And so car companies like Volkswagen, Volkswagen has actually put most of their investment over the past 10 years into diesel clean diesel, obviously uh, using that in some ways to thwart emissions tests. But that was essentially a big part of their plan that that (laughs) now they have to do this big shift. And companies like Tesla are coming in there and shaking things up in ways that car companies are not used to. You saw earlier last year, Ford, they brought on Widen as their AOR, I believe their creative AOR. Their innovation um, part of it, yeah. Innovation, yes. Their innovation part of it in order to revamp the brand because... They need to look like Tesla. Tesla has a story that people are buying, that people are into, and that they can do with zero advertising. And so car companies are all hurrying before we hit this next recession and people stop buying cars and they really feel the pressure. They're having to define themselves in a world that sees brands completely differently. The way we view Netflix or Google or Facebook is complete, I, I think is different than someone would view, you know, a KitchenAid GM or a, you know, Frigidaire 50 years ago. And so they have to redefine themselves. So I think this is that again, doing a great job for Volkswagen. Sorry, I'm going on a rant here. I love cars, no, love the industry. So there's a lot of things going on here. And then finally, I'll let Zach kind of talk about this, but I love the history aspect. So the lemon ad, obviously one of like the most famous car ads ever. Homage to that. I love it. Zach, go to you. Those are my three points. There we go. Well, and the best part, I love that the, your third point ties into your first one and ties exactly. into this campaign with the with what you're saying about the, <laughs> the underdog status. Yes, the the reason that they chose to use this campaign and the reason I think it's so good is because this was the campaign that really launched the Beatle in the United States. They were 100% an underdog, and this became one of the most yeah. famous ads of all time for that reason. Uh, this is like advertising 101 day one people will show you this yeah. ad in my office I think some people have it at their desk like that's how iconic this ad was this lemon ad um, so for them to to decide that that was the ad that they wanted to revamp um, is really speaking to that point that they're back where they were in that time they're that underdog again they're that they have that spirit of like let's do this we don't know how it's gonna work but this is who we are and we're gonna go for it so that was brilliant. And it's it's just a beautiful comparison. What I love about it from a copy standpoint is the metaphor between the lemon and lemonade. Uh, because, you know, the when life gives you lemons, you make Add lemonade. a little bit of sugar. Oh, thing. that too. Uh, yes, <laughs> exactly. That's that's kind of what they're going for here is like life obviously gave them gave them lemons a few years ago or they gave lemons to themselves. Yeah. But they're making lemonade out of it. They're, you reap they're, the lemons. They're turning it into something. <laughs> they're turning it into something great. Um and, and it's for someone who understands the industry and, and knows how big and how massive this campaign was in the United States. Uh, this is a beautiful, uh, beautiful ad and, and just a, an, an awesome campaign in that sense. My one caveat was that outside of advertising, I'm curious how many people in today's market are going to be able to make that connection or understand the importance, relevance, and just iconic nature of that previous ad because without it the campaign loses a lot it's still pretty it's still really good but it it's not it's not anywhere near as good without having the understanding of what that that previous campaign was yeah well that's kind of the thing that the one caveat that i have on it is i wonder what it's going to do in the greater market especially for the younger audience who doesn't know much about advertising and probably hasn't seen this ad before yeah, we talked about this a little bit over text, you know, throughout the week when we were prepping for this show. It, it's interesting because we talked about this with Burger King and how Burger King did the real meals. And we thought that that execution was great. But then we thought them parroting their video from a while back didn't really hit home because no one really knew that that video was even a parody of an older video. There's always a risk there. So that's a good point to bring that up, Zach. I almost feel as though you think about really big car fanatics, I feel like they will recognize that Mm -hmm. more so. And I feel like a lot of older people who are maybe the most upset, um, the the more active car buyers, I mean to say, because like obviously younger people are upset, but how many younger people can afford to really get a new car car like that right away? Um, Yeah, I feel like that clicks with them a little bit more. 
Um, I think it's just a good point to bring that up and draw that comparison. Um, and like, I, I just want to call it a quote too that I thought was really interesting. A, a person, a, a partner at Anomaly, you know, which is a, a rival agency in a way, uh, Jason Deland, he said that marketing needs more people willing to step out of the safety of what the crowd thinks and create a message that has teeth. To me, it says they accept they fucked up and use that pain as fuel to create something great. And I think that that is something that even in America, I think a lot of people can really get behind culturally is, you know, always making sure to rise when you fall. And I and I think that Zach and Cole, you brought up great points. It positions them even more as a underdog that's fighting back again. And I think we love Volkswagen when they are that underdog. They're the small car, the yeah, original small car. Almost for us. And honestly, I would expect us again, kind of going back to my statement before, I would expect to see more moves from car companies that look like this. Um, yeah, it's kind know, of brilliant. I mean, exactly. it, it really is. What you're, what we're finding too. I mean, mm-hmm. I believe that I, I don't know if I was talking. It might have even been on a pod that I talked about this before. But I know with you, Trent, I or someone, thirty years ago, eighty, some somewhere around sixty-five to seventy percent of all six of all sixteen-year-olds had their driving license, and now it's less than fifty percent. Yeah, hard don't matter as much to the younger generation. Um, you know, social media, the internet, cell phones, those are kind of the hot thing. Driving isn't so much that source of freedom for, for most young people anymore. And so in order to retain that market share, how are cars that increasingly drive themselves are all electric and very similar to one another, they're going to have to define themselves in different ways based on the branding. You know, the experience that you want with your car, is going to be the car that you buy, not so much how fast it goes or the gas mileage because they'll all be electric and they'll drive themselves. But, you know, that more so how does that car define you, you know, and car companies are going to have to figure out how they see themselves that way and rebrand themselves to fit. So... I mean, that's a perfect point to make. Like, and I, I feel like I can talk about this because I haven't started at Sacha yet. I don't know what they're doing currently. Yes, I am joining this team, but I, I you know, this is all based off of my own interpretations from work that I've seen previously. Uh, their, their Start Your Impossible campaign for Toyota last year or two years ago was all about rebranding Toyota, in my opinion, as like a mobility company instead of an automobile company because they're showing all these different ways they use tech to improve people's lives through movement, not just being a car company anymore. Like that's another way. It's a completely different way than Volkswagen's doing it, but it's another example of a car company starting to try and be more than just the thing with four wheels. Um, So I thought that that's a great point you brought up. And I just want to call out to the agency behind this. I don't think it's any surprise to any of us, Johannes Leonardo Mm -hmm. out of New York. One of the first pieces of work or one of the one of the first pieces of work they've done for Volkswagen since winning the account from Deutsch. And, and I just, I, wow. I mean, well done. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, and similar on a car theme, uh, this is a little bit more of a fun one. Um, the CEO of Mercedes Benz retired recently and uh, BMW did a fun little video where they did like a, they found an actor who looked just like the CEO. They filmed him leaving the office, saying goodbye to everyone, getting home. And then it says like, finally free. And then <laughs> it shows him driving back out of his garage in a BMW instead of a Mercedes. And then it closes by thanking him for for his fierce competitive, uh, for being a fierce competitor against them over the years. I just thought that was like really freaking funny and clever. Um, but yeah, did you, what did you guys think of that? Um, um, I I think it's fun to see brands being willing to poke fun at each other in more informal ways. I mean, I think we're talking about brands becoming more personal yeah. again, another car company attempting to become more, uh, more personal here, you know, more like a prank that you, you know, do put on your friend. Yeah, it felt like two brothers or two friends yes. teasing each other. Exactly. A friendly rivalry. Yeah, which I think is great too, because I think in today's world, everything is so high stakes mm-hmm. to the point where it's almost like, like nauseating. Where, like, uh, you know what I mean? I think that's why we like stuff like Wendy's. I think it's why we like stuff like this, you know, it, people poking fun at each other, not taking themselves too seriously, and just reminding each other that at the end of the day, we're just 
where, where it's kind of more friendly mm-hmm. we're humans and we're connected in more ways than you know, we don't have to be hateful rivals just because we're selling a competing product you know you guys kind of took the words mm-hmm. out of my mouth with that one that's exactly where i was going with is it's it's fun to see brands poke fun at each other uh and and it's just a nice you know it's it's it almost shows respect you know it yeah it does you yeah. know in in a way that's like funny and it's it's obviously making a joke but it, it does still show respect like i'm sure they truly are thanking him for his fierce competitiveness because they are and it makes them rivals, better. But at the end of the day, it makes both exactly it makes both companies better. And so it's just a fun way to put their own little twist and a slight little jab into a, a heartfelt thank you. Uh, and, and kind of honoring someone who's done a lot for car manufacturing, a lot for the automotive industry and, and a lot for that company. And so it's, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's a nice little, it's a nice little send out. Yeah. If you search a respectful, a respectful joke. Exactly. If you search like BMW says goodbye to Mercedes Benz CEO, you'll be able to find like, there's a lot of videos of it on YouTube. I couldn't find an exact article, but yeah, you'll be able to find it and see it and just kind of have a quick laugh. Um, you know, we've taken you through the highs and lows today. We've talked about depression. We've talked about money. We've talked about advertising stuff we've talked about lemonade lemons emissions testing fraud uh, it's been the gamut um but through it all you've been here with us and we want to kind of end things on a little bit of a fun note um can starts up next week um it is the biggest advertising award show in the world everyone is going to to france right now to drink rosé party on yachts network and uh, also like collect awards and see all that um (laughs) should be a fun show and um (laughs) they're doing things a little interesting this year where there are a bunch of different categories you can win in um and a few of the the categories are actually they announced their shortest already and they're going to have live judging that allows people to kind of gain insight into what the the uh the the creative panel that's judging the work for each category is thinking and like what kind of goes into their thought process for the judgment. So it's kind of interesting. I'm definitely going to check it out because I kind of nerd out on that stuff. I think that's awesome. Um, so they announced for the innovation lines, which is really kind of creative excellence. That's kind of very forward thinking and is very just groundbreaking for the category. Um, there is also the glass lion, which is very much like the lion that kind of, brings you know how do you phrase this it, it, it is promoting change in a positive way it, it, it's groundbreaking it breaks the glass ceiling i guess you could say it, it very much like opens up new social norms and talks about stuff that hasn't been talked about before and then they also announced their shortlist for the titanium lines which is essentially stuff that doesn't really fit into any one category because it's so forward thinking almost made its own category um so we're each going to kind of pick a favorite of ours that is going to be debated and judged live the next week. And then we'll have our interview with Jonah at Giant Spoon next week. And then once we get back and can is finished, we're going to dive in, kind of power rank some of our favorite um, award winning work that's been kind of judged. But, you know, Zach, I'm going to start with you. What is your favorite from the ones that were shortlisted? And then we'll go to you, Cole, and I'll, I'll wrap it up. Sounds good. Uh, sweet. Um a campaign that everyone is probably aware with at this point, uh, dream crazy for Nike. Uh, I loved it when it first came out. It's, it's amazing to just see how this campaign has grown and just the impact that it had. It, it faced immediate backlash from some audiences, immediate praise from others. And then the long run, it paid off, uh, in, in a really special way, using Colin Kaepernick, standing behind their athletes, the evolution to dream crazier with the women and the stuff they've been using on, uh, social media as well, telling stories of everyday people who are athletes and, and chasing their dreams as well has just been through and through an amazing execution. And so that's my pick for, uh, for hopefully the top prize. And I guess we'll see, we'll see what happens, but I'm excited to see what it, what it comes home with. Sweet. So I guess I'll give my pick as well. Um, definitely a hard field to choose from because there are some real winners here. I know that um, honestly, I might I might have chosen Zach's had I had I gotten another pick just because I just love that Dream Crazy campaign so much. But and I might have chosen Cole's. Should I had another pick? 
Okay, yeah, I, up for up for a glass and a titanium line. Exactly. So it but how, how but it I think I'm going to go with the uh, New York Times Droga Five uh, campaign, um, their Truth campaign. Um, so that that uh, campaign has gone on now. I, I think for almost over a year at this point, going on for quite a long time. But we've seen this kind of take shape in so many different ways. And it's heralded this whole rebranding of the New York Times that I think has just been amazing. Um, admittedly, I am a New York Times reader myself. I do t- I do peruse. Um, and so all of the stuff that they've been doing to really put the paper, you know, at the center of news and at the center of truth, you know, our current political climate is, you know, crazy. We have a, we, the president is crazy. Everything is just, gone a bit wild and so we don't really know where to turn but the new york times is kind of showing itself to be a beacon of truth uh again kind of like volkswagen shining a light in the darkness almost so to speak and the way that droga chose to show that i think was so cool just how they basically showed you how a story is built you know they take you from that reporter going with their boots on the ground to the story getting put into the paper. And not only has this shown in their ads, but also through all of their other media as well. So the daily, their podcast has gotten increasingly higher uh, production quality and has continued to kind of change that industry, still a top ranked podcast now. And just last week too, they launched The Weekly, which which is now a new TV show that goes into how they create the news. So it's kind of even building off of that format that they started in their ads and they've created a whole show about it. And then finally too, um, which launched uh, last week, um, kind of as a run up almost you would think to can, um, they launched uh, a campaign in New York itself. So they did these really cool activations in each of, I believe in each of the four neighborhoods um, that, Four four boroughs that focused on things that were happening, issues that they reported on in that borough that, and then what happened because of the story that was post was, uh, yeah, posted. And I just, you have to check this stuff out. It's been going on for a year now and they've built this into the New York times blood, I think. And I, I just think we're going to remember this campaign. for It is a, it's a perfect case of, what can be done when you have a great agency client working relationship. Um, exactly. You know, yeah, that is a great point. I mean, they're, they're really humanizing journalism again in a time where people don't really trust what they read. And I think that that's super smart. Um, that's the, that's the value behind yeah. it. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So that's another titanium lion. As you could probably tell from Cole talking about it, they're doing a lot of different things. So it's really kind of creating almost a new category in a sense. And I'm going to go with the titanium lion as well. Um, that's one of my favorite. There's a lot on here I love. I'm just calling this one out because it's I have a bit of a personal bias. Um, it's called Insta Novels. Um, and it's something Mother USA created while I was interning there uh, for the New York Public Library. Um, I got to work with some of the people. I didn't work on it, but I worked with people who were working on it. I got to see them working on it in the office. Uh, a couple interns um, that I knew and was friends with got to work on it as well. It's just a very cool project that I think is really at the heart of the titanium lions, which is something that is really kind of creating its own category. Um, what they did is the New York public library wanted to increase readership and, um, you know, like library card signups and all of that. And instead of doing campaign, that's like, go to the library. Um, they and mother kind of worked together to come up with this idea of what if we use Instagram, a platform that's so heavily used by younger people as a way to get people to read again. And so they created these Insta novels that were housed as stories on the New York Public Library's Instagram page. And then with a PR push, got people aware of it. But the um, they essentially would do these really beautiful animations and illustrations. And they had like Alice in Wonderland, Yellow Wallpaper. Um, they even did The Raven for Halloween. And they had a couple other books as well that they put on there. And 
it's cool. Like it teaches you how to read inherently as you're looking at it. And so it's the entire book uploaded onto their stories and it's just saved there. So people can get the book for free and read it on their phone or on their iPad or any device really. And it kind of walks you through. So it's like, hold your thumb in the bottom right hand corner so you can read the page, lift up your thumb to go to the next page. And it almost feels like you're kind of reading a book on Instagram. Uh, I know from talking with people over there, you know, New York Public Library's um, followership on on Instagram and social media has just skyrocketed because of it and act- actually stayed pretty high and steady. And, um, you know, I know they found great success for it as well. I think it's just a very creative way to get people reading again. I think it's kind of cool. It's a cool cause. It's a cool kind of nifty little solution to something that could have been done in a completely boring way. So I'm excited to see that and and see these other ones too live judged here at Can and talked about. And uh, we'll kind of come back to you in two weeks once we have our interview up and uh, we'll kind of talk through who we thought really came away with a lot of good awards and, and what we thought about the, the the festival itself. So, yeah, thank you for tuning in again, um, bearing with us through the, the highs and lows of advertising and salad making and chef making. Shout out again to Sweden. Shout out again to all of you who are listening. Uh, we're approaching like almost like 1,300 listens now, which is crazy to think considering this is literally just i'm in a closet right now recording for soundproofing purposes you know what i mean cole's in the studio in la and zach's here in his place in phoenix like it's very much uh uh from the ground floor up kind of effort and it's cool to see that you know you like what you're hearing you're sticking around with us so thank you very much and means a lot i'm moving out to la next week and i'm excited to uh, report back with cole on the what's happening in la segment um but until then you know this is a, can we change it to a what's happening in arizona no, yeah segment? yeah that's that's fair we will we will what's up in phoenix my man we'll do that and um you know much like volkswagen rises from the ashes so will phoenix rise from the ashes of not being talked about in its segment to having its own segment now on salad do that make sense? I don't fully know, but I'm <laughs> rambling and I'm in a, an award spew. So, yeah, I'm going to sign off uh, before I keep talking. But thank you, everyone. Again, this is Trent signing off. And, yeah, appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Take it away. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And have an adtastic week. There it is. <laughs> Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>